How's everybody doing? Good? Good? Just that's kind of a... Yeah. Uh, it, is, uh, it is great to be here as Tyler lifted up um, this morning already. Just in the, the praises of all things that God has done and continues to do. And I uh, want to encourage each of you again uh, today after church. We have a, a new aspect of ministry that has not taken place for a really, really long time. And it's this thing called fellowship. Um, do you all know what fellowship is? Do we need to reintroduce that? Yeah. So out there, you, you can do this thing. It's talk and sit, have coffee, uh, pray together, uh, encourage one another. And so we want to just encourage you both uh, before and after services to, to utilize that space. And uh, obviously, the most important thing is connect with one another uh, in your relationships and in your faith. Um, and this morning, uh, as we leave here, I just want to put another plug in, a reminder of prayers for that Sunday school that's going to be taking place at 1030. It's the first time in 17 years that we've had Sunday school. Uh, so praise God in all that is taking place there. And then for all the volunteers, whew, get ready. VBS starts tonight. It's going to be great. Um, but I, I, I do want to give an introduction to this sermon series that we're going to be heading into uh, titled Red Letters. Um, for those of you that don't know, in the fall we are going to do a churchwide study on Romans. And uh, this really took place out of a lot of conversations and a lot of prayer and discernment, um, both with you and, and with colleagues and, and what's taking place in our denomination. And, and one of the things that was very convicting, uh, a few things in conversation of individuals uh, saying, you know, I love this church for the people. And that's good. That's good. Really good. But that's where it stopped. There's been a lot of conversations about the friendships and fellowship, but then we've got to go deeper than that. Why, why we're here is, yes, for each other, but there is a whole other side of the coin that we need to pay attention to and dig into. And as you and I both know and witness on a daily basis, there are uh, a lot of different temperaments in our society. There are a lot of different uh, opinions and preferences and people adhering to this uh, set of truth or this set of belief and this interpretation. And, and sometimes, I'm not going to lie, it's just like, oh my gosh, where, is this, where does it stop or, or where do I start? Because it's all overwhelming. There's so many different uh, preferences. There's so many different resources out there. And, and uh, you know, for those that are doctors, I apologize, but really we don't need to go to a doctor anymore. You just get on Google and Google it. You can, you can self-medicate now. You can do those kinds of things, right? We're like, oh, we're all experts. It's like, well, that's interesting that we use those words and those phrases. And uh, in conversation, um, it has been pressed upon our hearts. Are we taking at face value the words of Jesus Christ? When we open up scripture, when we read this, do we believe what it says? And are we living into what it says? You know, there's a lot of different people have different um, preferences or opinions in the way in which they interpret Scripture. Uh, some people get boggled in numbers. Say, the numbers don't add, add up. I just, I can't believe Scripture is true and, and it's poignant and it matters because the math doesn't add up. Or, or I don't really see the science in the Bible. It doesn't, doesn't connect for me. I just can't. There's no validity in it. And yet, we hear and read that God's Word is for reproofing and it's for the teaching and for the building up of our souls. And we also learn that the, God's word 
as not just paper and words, but God's word is his son, Jesus Christ, as it says in the gospel of John chapter one, the word became flesh. And so we're gonna, we're gonna live into this sermon series, the red letters, and the focal point is for us to take what Jesus is saying here, the things that he is teaching us at face value, unpack those so that we have an understanding when we go into our fall series of Romans, because there's a lot of people that when they read Romans, like, oh, wow, it just seems like Paul is just making this stuff up. We're, we're trying to give ourselves build a foundation, and, and prepare ourselves for what is to come in the fall. So um, this morning, we're really going to focus on three points. And uh, if you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to take some notes. The first one is this, who Jesus is. And this is God in the flesh entered into our human lives in this vicarious form. He came into our lives. And number two, why he came to complete God's plan for redemption, and three, what it means for us, that we would believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and that we would share this good news with others. Now, some of you might say, wow, you just gave us the answer of all three points. I can go home now, or you can go to fellowship. No, please just stay here, right? All of this is to help us understand our theology and or grow in an understanding of what theology is. And theology is simply this. It's the study of the nature of God. So when somebody says, what's your theology? Well, some people are like, I don't know. But your theology is, what, what are you studying? What are you learning? What are you investigating about God? And, and your doctrine, which is what the Bible teaches. What are you doing? What are you believing about the things that you're studying about God? How and why? And so we're going to ask the question, who he is, why he's here, and what it means for us. Now, this first question, who is Jesus, is really important for us, and I would even say extremely important for us to understand and take our time with this. From the early church till now, there have been many who have been misguided or fallen into the non-truth or the non-biblical explanation of who Jesus is. Now, the first trap is that Jesus wasn't anything more than a profound teacher or a, a moral right and wrong person. Now, I'm sure you've been in conversations and some will say, I just don't see Jesus as being God. He, he taught good things. I can get behind that. And there are a lot of different uh, philosophies and a lot of different perceptions of that's all Jesus was. And the second is this, that Jesus was never really human. Just a divine image of man. Both are heretical teachings and widely accepted by the church, especially in the West. And more specifically, sadly, this is a falsehood that's taking the United Methodist Church by storm. Why? And how did we get to a point where Jesus is just a, a moral teacher, not a savior, and Jesus didn't really physically come to save us. He's just a, a, a figment of what God is really representing for our lives. And, and in our history as a church, in the Industrial Revolution, there's this theologian, Borden Parker Bounder, said, Jesus wasn't real. He was just a, 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 a divine image that helps us find the spark within ourselves. Which is interesting that that falsehood took on in the church. But I want to read the words of Jesus this morning and the gospel of Matthew and Mark to start us off. And, and some of you might be like, yes, finally, Pastor Andrew 
has some scripture where it's one verse, not a whole, whole chapter. But trust me, there is so much, so much in what we're about to read. So if you have your scripture with you, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. The words will also be on the screen. And these uh, are the words in which Jesus says. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then I also want to flip over to the gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 15. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Would you pray with me? Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to your word this morning. We come to the reality in which you have lived in, through, and for us to redeem our lives, to give us the gift of eternity. And Lord, this morning as we hear of your word, may you press upon our hearts and our minds and our lives the way in which we need to repent, the way in which we need to acknowledge the kingdom of heaven come near. So the kingdom of heaven, Lord, what does this mean? The fullness of our humanity and of God's plan of redeeming all from sin is present in Jesus Christ. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, that all who would believe would not perish but inherit eternal life. We heard that in the children's message, amen? Amen. The kingdom of God is the manifest physical life of Jesus Christ. Now, it's extremely important uh, of a detail that we cannot overlook. God moved in and through the Old Testament, through his Holy Spirit, through prophets, through signs, through miracles. But now, for the first time in all of creation, God has rolled out his plan of redemption. For the first time, God is, is manifesting. God is vicariously taking on the human flesh. All of this is a part of his redemptive plan. The kingdom of heaven has come in a way that has never happened before. Think about this. If, if you're hearing Jesus say these words for the first time, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit present in what Christ is doing. From beginning of all time, now and forever, Jesus is that physical presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, this is uh, something for us to understand because we, we look at Scripture, we look at history, we look at all the different things that have been attested to in the life ministry of Jesus Christ, and some will say, Jesus, again, that first one, Jesus, he, he really wasn't just a, a Savior. He was a moral teacher. Jesus is not this alien-like form creature that, that came and, and just said, ah, I'm here on, on behalf of God. Maybe I have some good things to teach you and say to you. But Jesus, fully God and fully man, which we call the hypostatic union. So if you, you're ready for a theological term for the day, that's it, hypostatic union. The kingdom of heaven, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, supreme reign over all creation, all knowing, all loving, all controlling, is present in Jesus Christ. So when we hear, the kingdom of heaven has come near, that means 
everything that God has ever done, everything that God is actively doing, everything that God will do, eternity upon eternity upon eternity is present in Jesus Christ. Now we, we, we read in scripture that people cannot behold the face of God. And yet here, Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, is present with people. If we begin to grasp the reality of Jesus' words and what the kingdom of heaven means, then we can begin to understand why Jesus also says repent. Because he just doesn't say, hey, the kingdom of heaven is here. Continue to live how you want. He says repent. Turn from your sin. Leave the old behind, for sin cannot and will not be in God's kingdom. Jesus is telling us that he is the kingdom of God present in humanity and that we need to turn from our sin and turn towards him. Now, believe me, I know a lot of you are sitting there like, man, this is just the same old sermon over and over and over and over. But here's the thing. Sometimes as we hear these messages, as we hear this truth, as we hear and read the red letters of Jesus Christ, we don't take it real and we don't live into it. And I'll be honest, one of the very first times that I ever heard these words, I was a a non-believing person who was invited to go to a church camp, and I thought the leader was crazy. I don't believe in God. I'm not sure about this whole church thing. And he said, oh, just come come to this church camp and, and be a huddle leader with all of these kids. I'm like, I don't know anything about Jesus. That's not a good idea. And I remember this night, we're sitting in this crammed room, and the co-leader I had was a, a Christian with an audacious faith, knew so much about Jesus, had a, a lifelong relationship with God. I knew nothing. And I'm sitting in this row with all these little kids up to high school students, and there's this moment in worship where the pastor is preaching this very message. The kingdom of heaven has come. Repent. And then there was an invitation for anybody in that room to come forward and accept Jesus Christ. His words, his life, his death, his resurrection, and this free gift of eternity. Anybody in the room who would hear this good news could come forward and profess Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, I, I, at the time, I was like, oh, man, I don't know what's happening to me. I stood up. Everybody's sitting down. And I started to walk. And so, of course, I'm sitting on the end that's closest to the wall, and all the little kids who thought I was a Christian the whole week. And I'm, I'm like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, coming through, got to go up there. And I went up front, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I remember it was the simple, simple words of Jesus repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, of course, you and I each have a testimony. We have a moment in our lives where it's something has clicked, and if it hasn't happened yet, we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will move within your heart and your life, that you would understand, that you would come to know this truth for your life. We can, some even know the, the date and the time. I'm not good at that stuff. I, I didn't keep track of that. But we know that experience. We have that internalized and we know when God making himself real to us is something that transformed our lives that we would not be the same, that we would continue to live for God obediently. But here's the thing. 
you know, they call it a camp experience. As I, I went to camp and I accepted Jesus and I came back. I'm like, yeah, Jesus. My parents are like, whoa, what happened? World, the world begins to seep back in. Say, oh man, that was a great camp experience. I'm glad that you come to know Jesus as your Savior. But guess what? There's this over here. This is fun. And then there's this over here. This is fun. Oh, and this over here, that makes you feel really good. Oh, and that thing, that's going to make you a lot of money. And I began to buy back into what the world was offering me. And it was upon the accountability of these words, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus doesn't just say these words to his disciples in that present time. These are eternal words, brothers and sisters. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And it, it hit me in conversation and prayer and accountability groups of the reality that I, I, I believed that there, but was I living that out truthfully here, that the kingdom of heaven is still here, that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, still active in my life and active in other people's lives? I, see, I fell into the trap of not living that out. And that's how Satan works. He just says, oh, just a little bit of time, just a little bit of time. It's, he, Satan's like, a, uh, you know, the fun bags you get at Halloween. You don't get a full candy bar. You just get the little fun size. Just a little bit at a time, just a little bit at a time. And we begin to grow immune, immune, and maybe less in love and less obedient as disciples of Jesus Christ. But that leads to this question. Why did he come? And I want to read these verses. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 18 through 19 and verse 43. Jesus says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. favor, But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that's why I was sent. The Spirit of the Lord is on me as we hear Jesus say this, because he was anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor. Now when we hear this, Jesus says, me, as referring to himself as the Savior, as the Messiah. And this is also not a, a, a proof text for you to say, oh, Jesus, he's really talking about money here. He's not talking about anything else but money. Because, uh, well, actually, brother, that's a falsehood because Jesus is not talking about anything economical here. He's not talking about your financial status, your clothes status, what you look like, or any of those things. He's not talking about that worldly poorness. He's talking about our souls. He's talking about our spirits. He's referring and telling us that the poorest person can have a lot of money and a lot of worldly possessions. He does not define poor here in the material wealth, but in the spirit of a person. He's come to proclaim the good news, that God has become incarnate, that in Jesus, God is redeeming us from our sin. He's taking away this punishment that we all deserve. A death that we deserve, a death that we could not atone for, God and his abundant love and mercy gives to you and I freely the gift of grace and eternal life. This good news for each of us, poor in our sin, can now know the riches of his glory because he came to us. 
He sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, once again, Jesus isn't talking about those bound by physical chains or behind bars. Jesus has come to set the prisoner free, and that is you and me. He does this through opening our blind eyes to see how captive we are to sin. And you know, for a long time, I was naive to think that we didn't know we were held hostage by our sin. But the truth is that many of us are actually holding our sin captive. We hold on to it as if it's a pet. We hold on to it as if it's a truth. We hold on to it as a justification of it does this or that for me or it doesn't hurt somebody or this person or that and this. Oh, well, you know what? This, this person I know that goes to this church down here, they're doing it, so it's okay. God comes to release us from the captivity of sin. Now, here's one. You, you all might laugh at this, but I, I think about this quite often. And it might seem silly, but uh, some of you aren't really into this sermon, so I got to try to change it around here, change the temperature. I have this insecurity in myself that I cannot grow hair right here. And I'm dead serious, I'm 30. And I, I wonder, looking back in my life, I had all this curly hair, I could put gel in it and do all these fun things, but now I can't grow any hair. And then I begin to just take on this and digest this insecurity of like, ugh, man. So I have this weird thing of like, man, that's a cool haircut because I can't do that. And you know, the reality in something simple like that is I can let that grow into something that is unhealthy, something that pulls me away from the truth of who I am created in the image of God. That you and I and our images, the things that we might struggle with, the insecurities that we might have about ourselves, the reality that we are created in the imago dei, the image of God, that you and I at 10 weeks old in our mother's womb, we are given our fingerprints, our identity. What's one of the first things you do when you're born? They take your fingerprints and your, your footprints. That is who you are. That is how God distinctively designed you. And yet along the way in the world in which we live in, we take on this identity of self-doubt. We have this uh, bad imaging. We, all of these things, whether it's an outward image or an inward image. Oh, I did this. I did that. I uh, I just can't be loved by God because of this situation or that situation. You don't know my family. You don't know what took place at work last year. You don't know this. You don't know that. But you know what? God tells us in Psalm 139 that he knows all things about us. When we sit and when we stand, when we're far and when we're near. God came to set us free from those silly things to the serious things, the things that we try to identify with or the things that we hold on to as an insecurity or self-identify with. God says, no, I've come to set you free. I've come to pull the blinders off for you to be able to see that you are my child. I've created you. Hair or no hair. Jesus recovers us in the sight of who we truly are. And that goes all the way back to Genesis because we recount that story, what took place as Adam and Eve took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What is the first thing they did when, G when God was calling out for them in the garden? They hid 
and they put clothes on because they were ashamed. They hid and put clothes on. Jesus is saying, I don't, I don't want you to hide from me because I know everything about you. You don't have to hide. You don't have to dress that up because you know what? I love you and I'm going to die for you. And the truth of the matter, Jesus dying for us doesn't say just continue to live into your sin. I'm going to die for you so that you would be transformed, that you would live differently, that you would live for the kingdom that's present here and now. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but if you're holding on to something that's not the truth about God or in the way in which God created you, the way in which God gave his life for you, I just want to invite you just to let that go here. This is a safe place. We're going to end by this third point. What does this mean for us? This is the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Jesus says this. You call me teacher and Lord, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. For very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus is talking about the moment in which he, he stoops down and he's washing his disciples' feet. The filthiest of jobs, the filthiest of ways to serve a person. And here Jesus is saying, I've washed your feet, now you go do, with, do the same. Now some might say, well, Pastor Ian, I don't get that. Why did you bring that in? I'm glad you were thinking that question or maybe I imposed that thought on you because here's the reality. Jesus is telling us, hey, I did this. I want you to go and do the same thing. And so the question is, are we doing that? Are we doing what the red letters tell us to do? Are we believing Jesus at face value? Are we trying to interject maybe some sort of our bias or our opinion? Or, you know, Jesus, ah, I got really bad knees. I don't want to get down on my knees and wash anybody's feet. Anything silly like that, making up excuses. Are we taking God's word for what it says black and white right in front of us and doing it because believe me and you we like to complicate things loving our neighbor as ourself it's not that hard it really isn't it just takes our time and it looks in all different shapes forms and sizes to love God with all your heart mind and soul really isn't that hard but we make it hard we say oh I got to do this or I got to do that or or this and this ultimately we put ourselves in the place of being obedient being of a servant mind to what God has for us and I want to close with this encouragement I don't know where each and every single one of you are right now 
I don't know what your experience has been this past year. And some people are like, man, this COVID thing has just totally wrecked me in all different shapes and forms. Whether it's been physical, whether it's been mentally, whether it's been spiritually. I, I want you to know wherever your experience has taken you in the midst of this past year, God loves you and you are of abundant worth to God and we, your church, love you. And we don't want you to go by the wayside because of this busyness or that or this excuse or that, but we want you to come alongside one another, looking, praying, discerning, and putting into the real application of what Jesus is telling us and how Jesus gives this opportunity for us to live right here, right now for the kingdom of heaven. Because some of you might be conscious of this, but as we're right here right now, there are people in our families, there are people outside these doors right down the street who are hurting, who are struggling, who do not know that they can have a different life, a life with Jesus. And God is calling you and I, you and I to, to read together to pray together, to live together in the life of the church, all different but one for the kingdom, to know Jesus and make him known. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our world, you capture our souls with your direction, you capture our souls with your sacrifice. Lord, may it be true of our lives that we take what we've heard today, that we take your word, Lord, that we spend time in it, that we let you identify us, that you, Lord, would be our foundation, that you would be our truth, that your words would not go silently upon our hearts and lives, that we, Lord, would hear and that we would do what you have called us to do. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Now, would you please stand for a benediction? Brothers and sisters in Christ, may you know that the love of Jesus is with you. May you know that God is calling you beyond your comfort level to these red letters, to the words of Jesus, that they may be real in your life, that you would go into this world to make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.